So last week we discussed coincidence. Of course, because we're going to be saying what a coincidence a lot in this class. Um, because a lot of things will seem like coincidence. Wow, that sounds like that's probably Jesus. And wow, what a coincidence. It talks exactly, it talks about, you know, this, that, or the other of Jesus' life. 500 or so years or more before he was born. What a coincidence. So we talked about how that word is not, does not, a, uh, coincidence is actually uh, not, a, as, as rabbis put it, a kosher word. So it's uh, what we think of as coincidence by chance, stuff like that, without the involvement of our Lord, uh, doesn't exist. Because God's involved in everything. And if coincidence was real, then God would go, oh, I didn't know that was going to happen. So, can't have that. But, um, talked about angels, demons, which are not fallen angels, as we talked about. There's angels, the good and bad, and then there's demons, which seem to be different than bad angels. So, and they may be not different at all, but what we talked about were some kind of defining characteristics of the, of the two. So, uh, spirits, Bodies. We talked about the angel of the Lord. Um, very fun study. Uh, again, if you want to go through your through your quiet time or in your quiet time, go through the Bible and just search "angel of the Lord" in the Old Testament and uh, see if it meets the criteria of a winged angel. You know, with the twelve hundred eyes on it and you know six wings and just terrifying messenger type angel, or if it meets the criteria of something else, so, you know, someone else that we, we know from the New Testament is Jesus, of course. Um, yeah, and you'll find some surprises. So, All right, so this session, we're going to talk about the first mention of, get your pencils ready, love in the Bible. Maybe not chronologically, but in the order of our Bible. We're going to talk about the Akida, not the Akida. Or the Akeda, what is, it? is that what you call it, Stephen? The Akeda, which all that means is the binding or binding. So the binding of Isaac. So when we when we go to this story, it's the story of when Abraham takes Isaac up the hill and binds him and almost sacrifices him. And it's called if you if you say the Akeda to a rabbi or someone, they know exactly what you're talking about. So um, so we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about a prophetic type of God's plan of. Just guess. Redemption. Close. Close enough. That's fine. But, but officially it's redemption, but yeah, I mean, good guess. The Akida occurs in Genesis chapter 22. So if you want to turn there, we're going to be in pretty much there all, the, all night tonight. Genesis chapter 22. Genesis chapter 22. Now, sometimes you might hear me read from New American Standard. Sometimes you might hear me read from King James. Just don't let it confuse you. It's just I go back and forth for, for reasons. No big deal. There's some interesting... Uh, they come from different manuscripts, so it's interesting to read the difference between the two. So. Okay. So, verses 1 through 2 of Genesis 22. I'm just going to kind of breeze through these, and I'll slow down when I need to focus on something. Um, but we'll just start reading and we'll talk about it. So now it came about after these things that God tested Abraham and, at, and said to him, Abraham, and he said, Here I am. He said, Take now your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, I will tell you. 
Uh, this is a very you know known story to most of us. If anyone of us grew up in church, went to Sunday school, had the coloring book, <laughs> coloring sheets, you know, the really old man uh, Abraham and the little you know twelve year old kid Isaac. Of course, he's older than that. We'll talk about that too. But um, that's what we're talking about. So after what things, as it says in verse two, just basically what's happening in Genesis twenty one, which um, Isaac was born. Um, Hagar and Ishmael are sent away, so that's really what it says after these things, um, just what's happening in the previous chapter. So God tested Abraham to test his faith. God tested Abraham to test his faith. And by this time, Abraham's learned a lot. Uh, he's went through quite a bit of trials. And, uh, and of course, he has his promised son by now. And he has another child, but we'll talk about that. So, before we go on, how could a loving God we call Father ask a human father to sacrifice his son? That's a big question that's asked about this study all the time. There's people that have commentaries on this study, and they first thing they say is, how in the world could God ask someone to sacrifice their own child? You know, it's kind of a big deal. Um... And, how, and, and they always usually say, how could a loving father uh, ask their son, ask their, you know, ask a person or a father to sacrifice their child? So. And uh, rabbinically, on the, in the, on the, when you, uh, rabbis will say, and actually I have a few quotes here uh, by Rabbi Joseph Black. He said, in the end, I have to strip the Akedah of its literal elements. Looking at it as a story involving a real man and a real son is just too terrible. And he also said, on a literal level, the text teaches us that binding, that the binding of Isaac is a test of Abraham's faith. God needs to know if Abraham and his descendants will be able to fulfill their part of the covenantal relationship. And yet this answer is so problematic. What kind of God would ask a child, a parent, to sacrifice a child as a test? It doesn't make sense. There must be something more to that, more than that. So, before we move on, why does God test people? Well, uh, write down Exodus 20, 20, if you want. You can read that if you want. But basically it's, so the fear of him, or the awe and respect, when you see fear, fear God, it doesn't mean to be scared of him, it just means to respect, have awe of him, of who he is. And submission, of course. It's so the fear of him may remain with you, so that you may not sin. Okay, so that's why God tests people. Uh, there's also Exodus 20.20, 20 that says, uh, well, that's what I just gave you. Exodus 20.20 20 actually says, do not be afraid. Moses said to the people, Do not be afraid, for God has come in order to test you, and in order that the fear of him may remain in you so that you may not sin. So that's really what the purpose of testing, and sometimes it's translated temptation. So um, I think in King James it says that God tempted Abraham. So, so here's a question that usually comes up Why does God test people if he knows what they're going to do? To see what they're going to choose. To see what they're going to choose, right? But does he know what they're going to do? Yeah. Okay. So that they can find out. So that they can find out. Okay. Good, good. So so uh, have you ever asked yourself, do I have free will? Have you ever wondered, hmm, do I have free will? Am I, you know, do, am I able to make the choices I want? Do we have free will? Yes. 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 Okay. Does God know what we're going to do? Yes. yes. Has he foreordained what we're going to do? Not for, no. 
Are you sure? Okay, we'll talk about that later, no big deal. Um, that's kind of a touchy subject, but uh, um, so what we're gonna do, what we decide to do is something that he's already aware of, but works out perfectly in his plan, is that right? Yeah. Okay, so if God knows all, which he does, he knows all of our choices, um, if there is no free will, I'm going to ask you this question. If someone says, says that there's no free will, in the passage of Luke 19, Jesus actually holds the nation of Israel accountable because they didn't believe who he was. Does anyone know what he did? Luke 19? You don't have to turn there. Luke 19 is when Jesus goes, across, goes up the hill, he's on the donkey, or he's about to get on the donkey, and he weeps over Jerusalem. And he basically says... Um, he basically says, this is what's going to happen to Jerusalem because you did not uh, know the time of my coming. He didn't know that, or because Israel didn't recognize him as the Messiah, this is what's going to happen. And he gives a prophecy of what's going to happen about 40 years later. And in AD 70, does anyone know what happened? The year 70 AD? Completely destroyed Jerusalem, plowed it under everyone. Millions of people died There was from the, from the battle, from the sickness thereafter. Uh, there was famine, um, but what he says happened, will happen, happened exactly according to history and according to several historical accounts. So, And if you go to Luke 19, he says, because, this is going to happen because you did not understand the time of my coming. You did not basically realize who I am. So, if we have no free will, then why would he hold people accountable for their decisions? So, the, the answer to that is, of course, we do have free will. So. All right, so side note, um, another one, why was Jesus tempted? Ooh, God himself in the form of a man tempted. Because why? Because he has what? Flesh. He's a man. He's a man and he's God, so he was tempted. Um, and of course, in Matthew 4, for example, when, uh, when the devil takes him up to a very high mountain and shows him all the kingdoms of the world, somehow he's able to see all the kingdoms of the world, and he says, I will give you all these things. Now, if you're going to give someone something, what does that mean? You own it. You own it. Okay, so did Jesus say, you don't own that? No. Oh. No, he said, uh, no, you're not supposed to tempt me. So um, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. So <clears throat> Jesus didn't dispute the ownership there. So do we have free will? Yes. Does God know our choices? Yes. Can we comprehend that? Not really. It's kind of hard to, to grasp as a person. And there's a lot of people that build whole doctrine over that. Okay, it's like, oh, we don't have free will, but, and oh, we do have free will, but, and that's an Armenianism, Calvinist argument that's been going on, and it, it just gets ridiculous because you're trying to, trying to explain things in the form of, so from a human perspective, you're trying to put God in a human box, basically, and that's just not going to work. So let's move on. How many sons does Abraham have in this passage? Two. But it says your only son. We talked about this last week. Your only son, whom you love, and if we don't know who that's talking about, it says Isaac. Ishmael's like, really? Seriously? You know. No. Um, <clears throat> so why does God choose re or refer? Why does God refer to Abraham's only son? It was the one Right. So God is choosing to focus on, and you can you don't have to write this. I, I know there's a lot more sentences in this. I'm sorry, um, it's actually less than it was before. I promise. But 
you could write the son of the promise or the son of the covenant. God is focusing on Isaac. Um, he's the promised son. And we're going to see that this is very uh, important. Every little detail about this passage is very important and very uh, subtle, but there's a lot of uh, types or pointers to Jesus here. This is the first time the word love is used in the Bible. What's that? This is the first time the word love is used in the Bible. And this, in effect, there's there's a thing in theology called the law of first mention. It's not really a law, it's more of a principle, but basically anytime something in the scripture is mentioned first, there's significance to it. And so what you'll see here is the significance of this passage really parallels things like John 3.16, stuff like that. So, um, but it's love, and for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Ooh, that's interesting. So, <clears throat> verses 3 through 6, Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and Isaac his son, and he split wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place at which God told him. On the third day, you know, let's stop right there. So Abraham started his journey when? So he was told the day before, hey, you've got to go sacrifice your son. I probably wouldn't just like go to bed and wake up. Hey, let's let's go, you know, if it was me. But by this time, I think Abraham's really learned a lot about God and his character. And uh, right before this, God promised Abraham what? Several times. You're going to have kids. You're, your kids are going to have kids. And... Uh, but now you got to kill your kid. So, in a way, you could think Abraham saying, God, you have a problem, not me. You've got a problem because you just promised me something. You don't break your promises. You promised me kids, grandkids, through Isaac, yet you want me to kill Isaac. So, okay, I'll just do what you ask because you're going to have, and we'll talk about kind of his mindset there. Um, but he didn't, he, he, he started his journey early. And if you want to look at a little map on that, last page, uh, that first little graphic, that gives you kind of an idea of where it is. If you want to pull up a map later of Israel, uh, there's Be'er Sheba at the bottom there, and they're walking up to Salem. What is Salem called today? Jerusalem. Jerusalem. Salem means peace. Jerusalem means God, Yahweh, Yahweh or God's peace. So, <coughs> so he's walking up there. What's interesting, he didn't waste time you kind of wonder, did he sleep well that night? Probably not. I think he probably did at this point. He probably thought, well, okay, I'm going to relax. God's got this taken care of. I mean, he might not have slept well. Who knows? Did Daniel slip, sleep well in the lion's den? I think he probably did. That's just, I just, When you think of someone sleeping well, I always think of, you know, you're sitting there in a den full of lions, but they're probably all snuggling him, you know, cuddling him. And there's an angel in there. Well, angel, probably Jesus. But um, moving on. So... Yeah, his mindset's pretty difficult to comprehend there, but Abraham and Isaac did leave together in agreement. What's that sound like? Write Luke twenty-two forty-two there. That's when Jesus says, uh, you know, this cup will pass from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. So Abraham and Isaac do leave in, together in agreement. So we're going to see Abraham here is obviously a type or picture of who? God, uh, what is Abraham? What's his name mean? 
Big Daddy. Big Daddy. High Father, right? Um, so Abraham's a picture of God the Father here. Isaac the Son, his only son, whom he loves, is a picture of, of course, Jesus the Son. So <clears throat> Abraham saw the mountain with Moriah after how many days? Three. Three days. How significant is that? What else happens in three days? Jesus is in the grave for three days. Jesus was dead for three days. You might say that by this time, Abraham's, in probably Abraham's mind, Isaac's already dead, been dead for three days in this journey. He's alive, walking with him, but he's been condemned to death. So you might say, well, to Abraham, Isaac, my son's already dead. You know. So there's a three days here. Why? Probably to basically signify, hey, three days of death, and you know. So just throw that out there. But why specify this location? Anyone wonder that? Why, why take him to this location? We'll go over that here in a minute. So which mountain? Go to those two pictures again. Or those two other pictures. So Salem is, of course, now Jerusalem. By that time, it was a Jebusite village or city, town, not really huge. Um, I pull the pictures up so I can see. So if you look at uh, that second picture, three two, that's kind of a big overview of the area we're dealing with here, which is pretty much where ninety nine percent of stuff in Jerusalem in the scripture takes place. If you see that line going around, kind of uh, that's that's the city wall. Now uh, that's the Jerusalem city wall. By the time when Jesus is alive. Uh, by the time Jesus is walking the earth. And um, if you notice, down there at the bottom where it says Salem, or Ophel, that's where the village of Salem would have been. Or you said the village of the township, not a massive metropolis. Jebusite area. So you've got Abraham and Isaac walking, and these two men, of course, with them. And they're walking through here, and they pass this town. Some people say that's where it happened. If you're walking through town and waving at people and you're like, I'm, I'm just going to slaughter my son right here real quick, you know, that's probably not the way you do that. You keep going. And so there's uh, that little red line or that, it's red on my sheet. Of course, I think it's red. I'm calling it so. Um, so that line is basically probably the route he took outside of the city stay, to stay kind of far away. There's the threshing floor of Aruna that David purchased. Um, which is where the temple was likely built. And then, of course, if you get out past the city, you, you see this little peak here where it says Akidah. That's also called Golgotha today. And well, then, well, a couple thousand years later, uh, it's referred to as Golgotha. So likely where the, the Akidah drama occurs is the same spot where Jesus was crucified. And how significant is that? We'll talk about that. So, <clears throat> so which mountain? Salem was a Jebusite town, of course. Abraham would likely not offer his son outside of the city, or would only offer his son outside the city, uh, away from the people. And uh, there's also some Levitical laws that he might have been... Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk about Levitical stuff. When was the Levitical books codified and written? Before or after Abraham? After. So why am I talking about that? We'll, we'll see in a minute. So Leviticus 1.11 says he shall slay it on the side of the altar northward before the Lord, basically outside the city, north of the city, sprinkle his blood around the altar. Then Leviticus 4.12 says 
so sorry, I said that really fast. Leviticus 1.11 was the first one. Leviticus 4.12 says, uh, bring out a clean place outside the camp where the ashes are poured out and burn it. You don't have to write all this down. I'm just, um, But where the ashes are poured out, it shall be burned. So the law wasn't written yet, though. So did anyone know about the law yet? No? Okay, what about in Genesis 7? Let me just jump back there real quick. Genesis 7, what happens then? That's Noah, right? So it says, and Noah said to no- or The Lord said to Noah, Enter the ark, you and your household. You shall take with you of every clean animal by sevens, a male and his female, and of the animals that are not clean. How did he know what clean and unclean animals were? Hmm. Interesting, right? Here's what I think. I think that this stuff was known to these people, that God taught them this stuff. It wasn't codified until later. Okay? So if you wonder why in the world, how in the world would Noah know what clean and unclean was, well, God probably taught everyone this stuff, just like he taught Adam and Eve uh, that an animal sacrifice is required to cover sin by killing the first animals and putting the skins on them. Um, but it wasn't actually codified or documented until, obviously, Moses. So, interesting stuff. All right, moving on. So who will return and worship with these two men? Let's keep going here. Um, let me go back to Genesis 22. So Abraham rose, and on the third day, Abraham raised his eyes and saw the place from a distance. When, it, when you see raised his eyes, that's a way of saying something's about to happen. Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey, and I and the lad will go over there, and we will worship, and only I will return to you, because I'm going to kill Isaac. Is that what it says? What's it say? Basically, we will worship and return to you. So both of us are going to come up there, go up there, and both of us are going to come back. <coughs> hmm, that's interesting. All right, so we'll talk about kind of why he said it that way. So let's see, who will return and uh, worship with the two men? Just put both Abraham and Isaac, or Abraham and Isaac. How can Isaac return with Abraham if he sacrificed? Write Hebrews 11, 17 through 19. That's your answer. Basically, what I, I kind of go back to what Abraham's mindset was, is God, you have a problem because you promised me grandkids through, this, through Isaac. Um, you're going to have to raise him from the dead. Okay, So I, I, if that Hebrew passage, Hebrews 11, 17 through 19 says... By faith, this is, of course, the Hall of Fame of Faith. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises was offering up his only begotten son. That's interesting. It was he to whom it was said, and Isaac your descendants shall be called. He considered that God is able to raise people even from the dead, from which he also received him back as a type. Okay, so... Abraham basically said, God, if you're going to kill my son or make me kill my son, you're going to have to raise him from the dead because otherwise he can't have grand- I can't have grandkids with him. So, <clears throat> so why does Abraham believe Isaac will live? Because God was going to raise him from the dead. Right. Well, yeah, and God promised Abraham he would have kids. So just if you want to know where that passage is, right, Genesis 17, 19 through 21. Genesis 17, 19 through 21. All right. How old was Isaac? 
you know, we, like I said, we have those little coloring books that have the really old man and the really little kid, right? It says lad, but yeah, there's a, I'm going to read some uh, tradition and some uh, historical documents and just basically it would just make, come up with your own decision, but the idea is he's probably somewhere between 25 and 35 years old. It wouldn't surprise me if he's the same age Jesus was for obvious reasons, um, but that, that age would be within this range. So you could put 25 to 35, but I'm going to read some uh, quotes here. Uh, Leopold said he may have off, have arrived at the age of some 18 to 20 years. Said that in 1942. Josephus, the historian, said Isaac was 25 years old. Adam Clark says it's more probable that he was about 33. Interesting. Uh, Jameson, Fawcett, and Brown asserted he was then upwards of 20 years of age, and J. Curtis Manor described him as a youth of sufficient strength and agility to carry a load of firewood up a mountainside. I, I don't know, but I, I have an eight-year-old son that if I ask him to carry firewood up a hill, uh, I'm going to be doing it, ultimately. So he'll get one, he'll pick one, oh, it's too heavy, you know. So, uh, what? What's that? My twins would be fighting over who got to hold which pieces. Right, there you go. Yep. So, <clears throat> so who carried the wood? Isaac. Isaac. Let me ask you a question. Who carried the cross? Ooh, interesting. So we got Isaac the son carrying the, the wood, and we got Jesus the son carrying the wood. So kind of very literal parallel there. So verses 7, seven through 19, I'm just going to jump ahead here. Um, of course, Isaac said to Abraham, his father, my father, and he said, here I am, my son. He said, behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. So what or who will God provide? And if you read it carefully, if you read it quickly, it kind of looks like Abraham's giving him a stall. Like, uh, don't worry about it, kid. You know, just do what I say. But uh, he said, God will provide. In the New American Standard, it says, God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering. Uh just going to read a couple of translations. King James says, God will provide himself the lamb. And then NIV, CSB says, God himself will provide the lamb. So you got an idea here that God's going to provide himself, right? So, and obviously we know that God does provide himself. So just a little subtlety there. So what was Isaac's response? Obedience. What's that? Where's the offering? Where's God? Well, yeah. But his response was obedience. Yeah, he's like, where's the offering? And Abraham told him that answer, and then he, but Abraham, or Isaac was obedient. Which kind of uh, echoes uh, Luke twenty-two forty-two. Of course, uh, what we talked about earlier, if you're willing, remove this cup, but not my will, your be, your be done, yours be done. You can kind of see Isaac going, you know, Dad, if there's any other way to do this, let's do it, please. Uh, otherwise, you know, you know what's best, so... All right, so obedience was Isaac's response. Definitely not a child. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> yeah, if you're tying a 12-year-old up to kill him, I'm sure he's not going to say, okay, Dad. Um, definitely some uh, obedience there. So, <clears throat> and you could, uh, you could also talk, you could also see kind of I Isaiah 53-7, where he was oppressed and afflicted, yet he didn't open his mouth. 
like a lamb is led to the slaughter. He was silent. So <clears throat> Isaiah 53, 7, if you want to write that one down. Alright, so Abraham stretched out his hand, took the knife to slay his son. But, oh, look, but the who? Verse 11. Angel of the Lord. Wouldn't that be interesting if that wasn't an angel and that was the guy who's going to do this, you know, kind of later? But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. Of course, if you want to get any man's attention, you got to say his name twice. <clears throat> Here I am. And he said, Do not stretch out your hand against the lad and do nothing to him, for now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. So... Abraham raised his eyes and behold and looked behind him a ram caught in the thicket by his horns and Abraham went and took the ram and offered him up as a burnt offering in the place of his son. We have substitution here. So <clears throat> the sacrificial ram was caught in a thicket by the horns. Where are the horns? On your head. On your head. What's a thicket? Thorns. Thorns. Thorns on your head. Hmm. Anyone see any uh, parallels here? Very, very specific, literal parallels. Um, so a, a lamb with thorns on his head. That's kind of interesting. So, what, what a coincidence, right? I'm just, yeah, sarcasm. All right, so Abraham names the place prophetically because uh, he says, By himself I have sworn, declares the Lord, you have done this thing and have not withheld your son, your only son. He keeps pointing out your only son. That's interesting. I will greatly bless you. I will greatly multiply your seed. So this is an angel telling Abraham, I will greatly multiply, you know, he's given authority. So is this an angel? No. No, it's uh, someone else with more authority. I think we know who it is. So <clears throat> in your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. So Abraham returned. Uh, oh, by the way, if you go back to verse 17, it says, I will greatly multiply, or I will greatly bless you. I will greatly multiply your seed. Two things here, as the stars of the heavens and as the sand which is on the seashore. There's some people that believe that stars of the heaven is like spiritual descendants, and the sand of the seashore is like an ethnic descendants. So it could be. But through Adam, or sorry, through Abraham, obviously, lots of descendants spiritually and physically. So we have the, you know, tired Jewish, uh, all the Jewish descendants, and um, Ishmael's descendants. And of course, Jesus comes through uh, his his bloodline as well, ultimately. <clears throat> so, Abraham names the place prophetically. If you want to write that in the blank there, what does he name it? <clears throat> the Lord will provide. Does it say the Lord provided? No, it's future tense. Something's going to happen in the future. The Lord will provide. So he names it prophetically as like something, I just acted out something prophetically that's going to happen in the future. So I'm going to name this place, the Lord is going to do something, you know, the Lord will provide. So uh, Jehovah Jireh is how you'd say it, but Jehovah Jireh is how we say it in English. Abraham must have known he was acting out prophecy. The place was named, in the mount of the Lord it will be provided and what will be provided the lamb the, the the only son that it keeps saying over and over again the only son whom he loves the only begotten son 
And of course, there's a scene in uh, John 8:56 where, uh, and I'll just read it real quick. John 8:56. unbelieving Pharisees here. Not that all Pharisees were unbelieving, but these particular ones were. Um, or actually Jewish leadership. The Jews said to him, which just doesn't mean all the Jews, just means leadership. Now we know that you have a demon. Abraham died and the prophets all. And you said, if anyone keeps my word, he will never taste of death. Surely you are not greater than our father Abraham who died. That the prophets died too. Whom do you make yourself out to be? And of course Jesus said, If I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my Father who glorifies me, of whom you say he is our God. If you have not if you have not come to know him, but I know him, and if I say that I do not know him, I will be a liar like you, but I do know him and keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. So, of course, the Jews said, you are not yet 50, and you have seen Abraham. And, of course, Jesus says, I say before you, Abraham, before Abraham was born, I am, which upset them, and they tried to kill him. So, <clears throat> yes. So, what does John 8:56 mean? Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. Kind of get the idea that Abraham knew what was going to happen in this site, in this exact location. If you want to go back to that drawing or that graphic, um, again, you can kind of see like his journey he likely took through Salem outside the, outside the uh, city to that peak there, the highest, that's actually the highest mountain there, the, the Akida where it's pointed out there. And it just happens to be 777 feet over sea level, which if, you, if you're into Bible numbers, 777 is a very significant number, which basically seven means completeness. Three sevens means it's like an emphasis on complete or godly. That's why 666 is one less than 777, sevens. Um, it's emphasis is man, so um, there's a big difference there. So, but anyway, that peak right there, 777, that's 777 feet above sea level. And it's likely the same spot where this happens. So not the Temple Mount or near the city where some also claim it happened. So is it a big deal? No, but personally, I think God is very specific and I think it happened exactly where Jesus was crucified. So, all right. <clears throat> Let's see. I think I skipped. Uh, Who returned to the two men? Now let's read that. Genesis. Let's go back to Genesis 22. Let's see here. So who do you think went back with Abraham? Or who do you think went back to the two men? <coughs> okay. Let's read what it says. So Abraham returned, okay, this is right after God says, or the angel of the Lord, I'm just going to say Jesus, might as well just throw it out there. In your seed all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. So Abraham returned to his young men, and they arose and went together to Beersheba. Wait, wait, wait. Where's Isaac? You think he left him up there? See ya, son. Hang out on this hill for a bit. And you think he did that? Probably not. I think he took him with him. But why is his name not here anymore? We'll talk about that. All right, so where is the son Isaac? Well, let's say who returned to the two men. I would put Abraham and Isaac, but Abraham is, or sorry, but Isaac is omitted. 
for some reason Isaac is not in the text. The Holy Spirit did not put Isaac and Abraham in turn, but just Abraham for some reason. What happens to Jesus after he dies, rises again, sins? He's what? Is he here on the earth right now? No, he's not here. He's not here. He's not here. He's here spiritually. He's not here physically. So where is the son Isaac? You could say physically with Abraham, symbolically with the father. It's the, probably the shortest, least amount of words to write to kind of explain it. Physically with Abraham or physically with the father, physically with big daddy, symbolically with bigger daddy, father God. Now here's a, good, here's a question that might make you go, whoa, it gives me chills. When will we see the son Isaac again written in scripture? When he's united with his bride. his bride, right. Give chills a little bit? Ooh, kind of interesting, right? When will we see Jesus again? When he's united with his bride. What a coincidence, right? Okay, so who returned to the two men, both Abraham and Isaac, but Isaac's not there, not in the text. Where is the son Isaac? He's physically with Abraham, but he's symbolically with the father. When will we see the son Isaac again? When he's united with his bride. That's next week, by the way. Was God surprised that Abraham was faithful? No. No, that's an easy answer, right? That is the answer, no. Was Abraham surprised that God had a solution? No. No. Okay, so if no one's surprised here, who is the message of the Akedah really for? Us. Us, the readers. Yeah, you put us. The message is for everybody else. Abraham was like, hey, I'm in the middle of some sort of prophetic drama here. And uh, this isn't for me, this is for everyone else. So, pretty neat, huh? You think Jesus is in this chapter? It's all over it. All over it. We're going to see next week uh, a lot more of him. Just in uh, Genesis chapter 24. We're going to skip 23 because it's, it's some in-between filler stuff. So, I mean, it's important, but it's not part of this. So, summary. All right. Do we have any questions before we go to the summary? Was he called the only son because he was Sarah was his mom, and Sarah? He, he's instead of he's like, actually got a brother. Well, I know, but that was it from Why is he Sarah, calling or was son? that Hagar's son? That was Sarah's son. Okay, that's the son that. That's what I was trying that's to like, the, bring back and think like, about it this way. That's the miraculously born son. Exactly. So that's why I'm like. Yeah. Was. Who else was miraculously born? Yeah. Yeah. So um, you have a son that was promised. That was, and of course you have Ishmael, who was the. Uh, not miraculously born son and of course I because he didn't trust God that he was going to have a child you know because they laughed um, like you're not going to give me a kid and I'm how old was he 99 he was 700 when Isaac was born 700 no, no, 100. oh I think you said 700 <laughs> <laughs> right right 100 hey that's the other that's way back no um a little, little, little further back um no, since you brought that up, though, have you, have you ever looked at timelines of the bir- of how old the people were in the uh, from Adam to Noah? They all probably knew each other. Well, 
almost all of them probably knew each other. Adam probably didn't know Noah, but uh, some of his kids might have been playing with baby Noah. So, anyway, so yeah, they're really old. So, um, all right. Any questions, comments? Any more discussion? Good discussion. It takes up about thirty minutes. No. So, is Akita specifically st the what? The is the word Akita? Akita. Specifically, take one down. And Genesis 22? Um, if, uh, if, if the word binding, let me look here. Um, let me see here. Uh, I don't think it is, but it is the word bind, to bind in Hebrew. Okay. Or the binding, or just binding, actually. <clears throat> um, it's just the word you, the Hebrew word used to describe the whole chapter essentially so. but yeah he, uh, 2214 since we didn't really talk about it that much Abraham called the place the Lord will provide and if you ever see a word with J's in it they didn't say J in Hebrew they said yah. so like Y-H-W-H Yah Yah Vav that's how you say Y-H or Yahweh it's a Yod a He a Vav and a He so remember we talked about the He last week Hey, no, H-E-H is how people spell it in English. But um, uh, that would be how you say the name of God. And then, of course, they changed it later and combined the vowels with Adonai, with, because there's no vowels in Hebrew, <coughs> with Y-H-W-H, and then you get uh, Jehovah, or Yehovah. But he names the place Jehovah-Jireh, or Jehovah-Yireh, which means God will provide, or Yahweh will provide, or Jehovah will provide, in the future tense, so. Akida is in the first nine. Because he bound his son. That's right. I was trying to say, God. wherever the word bind is, that would be the, that would be it. Yeah. And it's probably a different form of it, but yeah. I mean, this is a cod or whatever. There you go. Yeah. yeah. What did you say? Verse nine. Yeah. Yeah. Let's see. Here. Verse nine. Yep, a cod. So, yeah. How many of you have the Blue Letter Bible app? It's oh, a good. It's yeah. a good one. Pull up uh, any word and uh, tell you the the root of it and where it's used, how to pronounce it. So, all right. Well, we can go over the summary real quick, and then we'll go over the. Uh, Quiz. Summary uh, at Abraham is a type or model of God being Father. The other two should be pretty easy. Isaac is a model, type or model of Jesus, the Son. And God's love costs us nothing, but it costs God his Son. Not Abraham's son or son. Do you have an extra space between his and son? No. I do on mine. It's bothering me. Sorry. Uh, so both Isaac and Jesus were promised before their coming. <coughs> they were conceived and born that, uh, miraculously. And they were given a special name before their birth. So just kind of throw that out there. And your memory verses are really tough. John 3.16, which is a very much a parallel to this whole, again, 
love was first used in this chapter, Genesis 22. And uh, and it really does parallel John 3. It's a very significant chapter because of that, and therefore love is kind of like the overarching theme of uh, many things, obviously, in the scripture, but uh, John 3.16 really stands out when you compare the two. And then John 15.12-13. This is my commandment, that you love one another, just as I have loved you. Greater love has no other than this, than one to lay down his life for his friends. 